Today on Follow Friday, we're going to talk about the joy of puns, smuggling drugs inside of fish, jetpacks, UFOs, spooky stories, Hannibal Lecter, the naughty parts of literature, and the universally beloved film musical Cats. That's in a minute with Alexandra Petrite from the Washington Post. But first, I'm going to let you in on a secret. In the near future, I'm going to be making some big announcements in the email newsletter of my podcast consulting company, Bumblecast. So if you want to be the first to hear them, then go sign up for the newsletter at bumblecast.fm newsletter. That's B-U-M-B-L-E-C-A-S-T dot F-M slash newsletter. Thanks. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Hey. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet. The folks you should know. Hey. So let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. So now right away. With no further delay. It's not a Friday. It's not a Friday. It's not a Friday. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, a podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to writers, podcasters, comedians, and other creators about who they follow. They will be our guides to the best people on the internet who we should be following, too. Today on the show is Alexandra Petri, a humorist and a columnist for The Washington Post. She's also the author of the books A Field Guide to Awkward Silences and a recent book of essays about American politics called Nothing is Wrong and Here is Why. You can find Alexandra on Facebook at facebook.com slash petrifying, spelled like petrifying, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash petridishes, spelled like petri dishes, the science equipment. Alexandra, welcome to Follow Friday. Thank you for having me. We were talking uh, before we started recording about uh, how, how often I screw up pronunciations of people's names, and you really threw me for a loop there with the correct pronunciation of Petri versus how I thought it would be pronounced, going by your usernames. Yeah, no, you had to Petri very P-hard, uh, <laughs> because yeah, it's, it's my fondness for puns that has gotten me into this position, because I'm like, all the Petri puns, or Petri puns, not Petri puns, even though it's spelled the same way, so... I, I was going to ask you about the puns. Yeah, you, you you tweet about puns. You've written columns about puns. I think you have competed in pun competitions. Is that right? Yes. I was nodding and then I realized, no, this is a podcast, an audio medium. <laughs> I have to do a verbal ascent in order to convey that that's what that I'm saying. Yes. But yeah, no, I, I love the pun community. They, they say like an inveterate punster follows conversation like a shark follows a ship. Uh, and that's <laughs> certainly how I feel. And fortunately, there's places you can go if you're like that, where you can be among your kind. So yeah, there's like Punderdome 3000, which is based in Brooklyn, but like they, they've gone sort of on the internet. Now they just exist in, in the, you know, the pixel space. And then there's also one in Texas that I've competed in a number of times, the O. Henry putoff. The O. Henry, that's a really famous one, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I won Punniest in Show with that one time, and I'm going to cling to that laurel until uh, the day of my demise. That is that's huge. I, I I went. I saw a musical once that was like the annual pun off. Do you, do you know this one that I'm talking about? Oh, you know, I heard about this musical because everyone in the like was like, "This is us. This is our life." But I I didn't see it. How was it? It it was really good. I mean, it was obviously 
filled, you know, wall to wall with puns. And I think it's based on the O. Henry pun off because it's like a you know big gathering. It's supposed to be like the most prestigious gathering of this very dorky, very niche uh, passion. Yeah. Um, I'm also a fan of puns. Uh, and the, the sound you just heard is my girlfriend turning off this podcast because she cannot deal with two of us. <laughs> but uh, was there like an 11 o'clock? What was the 11 o'clock number in the pun musical about? Was it like, I can't think of a pun in like my world oh, or something? I can't remember. I I mainly remember like the main theme of it because it's just it's an earworm. It's like the annual pun off. It's not a one off. <laughs> that one gets stuck in my head all the time. But gosh, that was such a weird, delightful musical. No, I love a good like oh the annual like Putnam County spelling bee. But what if it's people who like are voluntarily this way? I feel like I like that energy. How often are you are you punning in real life? Like, are you are you terrorizing friends and family? Like uh, the, the the shark with the ship? <laughs> I am. I think like less than you would expect based on how much I do it online, but still a consistently <laughs> high amount. I mean, my husband, who's been locked in the house with me for the past like fourteen months, can really attest to whether or not it's awful. But <laughs> congratulations to you to still being married after this pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Well, let's find out who Alexandra Petri follows. You can follow along with us today. Every person she recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com. It's Follow Friday. So, Alexandra, before the show, I gave you a list of categories, and I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category, an expert in a very specific niche that you love. And you said Josh Frulinger, also known as the Comics Curmudgeon. You can follow him on Twitter at JFRUH or at JoshReads.com. So the Comics Curmudgeon, I had not heard of this, but I'm immediately obsessed with it. Explain what Josh does here and why you uh, love following him. I feel like we're doing a really good job of establishing I'm like a very cool person with hip, normal, mainstream interests because the comics curmudgeon is for people like myself who don't really let a day go by without reading the print comics in the newspaper in their entirety. <laughs> I feel like doing that is sort of a fun yet isolating activity because you have a lot to say about like what's going on with Mark Trill these days, like what's happening with Beetle Bailey, all of these like very strange hermetically sealed like some of them have been going on for decades and like yeah are you past your comic strip down from like one generation to the next and they're like families who like just like someday you'll take over beetle bailey my son like that that's <laughs> going on and so it's just a wild fascinating novel place and fortunately uh josh has been doing this for the longest time and it's this amazing blog where you basically go to it and he's like so here's what the baltimore suns comics page has on it today like and here's what i think of mary worth and it's just like but like the frustrating thing about the internet is that people are always like getting to the good jokes first but it's actually reassuring to know that he's always gotten to the good jokes first and it's like oh this is someone is there to make the good joke about the comics so that my day can be like he's taken that off of the shoulders of the other comics readers. So I'm a big fan of the public service he's been providing for, I think, decades at this point. Uh, yeah, I think he started in 2004, which is just incredible. I mean, most people can't keep up a blog for a month, uh, including the former president of the United States. And so it's <laughs> it is the fact that uh, the fact the fact that Josh has been doing this for for, for that long is 
incredible. No, it truly is a public service, and it's very funny. I, there, there was one that recently on Memorial Day where it was the Beetle Bailey comic, and it was like just a very lame like golfing joke, and then just scribbled hastily in the margins, like, Happy Memorial Day to all who serve, or something like that. And he was saying, like, gosh, you think someone might have thought about this for a, a military-themed strip, but guess, guess not. <laughs> nope. They, they somehow... I think this got like a broader th- through the internet, but the Barney Google and Snuffy Smith, like the 9-11 memorial comic strip that they did is just the stuff of legend because... Are they the Beetle Bailey authors or who are they? No, they're a different... It's like set in like a little holler and it's full of folks who like they drink moonshine and the whole thing is like they're in a holler drinking moonshine. See, it's not in the post, I think, except maybe on Sundays, but I don't think even on Sundays. And so I've like fallen out of touch with it. So I may be giving you very bad misinformation about Barney Google and Snuffy Smith. Oh, no. How will I ever get by? <laughs> but their 9-11 comic, look, look it up. It's it's really, it, it's just sort of a masterclass in every choice you probably shouldn't make when commemorating uh, an event. So how did you first start following Josh? Do you remember? I mean, it's, he's been doing this for so long, maybe, maybe you don't, but... I think I honestly, it was one of those things where you like, like when you leave a movie theater and you're like, I want to see what people thought about this. And so I was like trying to Google, like, who had, does anyone else have an opinion about, I really think it was Beetle Bailey. And there's like, there's a whole website called the Comics Curmudgeon. Or somebody recommended it to me knowing that I'm like obsessed with the comics. And he did like a Mark Trail live show, which I wished <laughs> to this day, like, I, I, I'd have to consult with, like, you know, the best historians. Like, what's the good thing to do with the time machine? Like, should I go and, like, talk to Marlon Brando? That, that's not a good thing. But, like, I would also go and see the Mark Trail live read. I, for, for the benefit of, of readers who are not up to date on Mark Trail, even I don't know how you could possibly not be. But uh, could, could you explain for folks? I, I remember Mark Trail mainly as the comic I skipped over in the post. But uh, can, can you explain what Mark Trail, where Mark Trail and Mary Worth and what, what, what these comics are and why they are maybe not what people think about normally when they think about newspaper comics? Well, my favorite newspaper comic story, and then I will explain both of these because it would be my delight, is I think the most mail the post ever got was not like somebody wrote a column and they were real mad about it, but because what they decided they'd remove Judge Parker, the comic strip, and everyone was like, you know, as a newspaper, you can do many things, but removing Judge Parker, that is a bridge <laughs> too far. And so they got just bucket loads of mail and people were like, Judge Parker, so this is, these are all sort of teetering on the edge of like soap opera strips. So Judge Parker, he's a judge. Um, he's got a family and like, there's a lot going on. Recently, a new person took over it who's like a very good, funny writer, but like attempting to infuse reality into the Judge Parker world, I think is a, is a fool's errand, but he's doing a good job. <laughs> so Mark Trail is like a nature, an adventure outdoorsman type guy. He's got one of those shirts that has multiple pockets. He looks like a park ranger, but I don't think he's a park ranger. He has a lot of animal facts. Every Sunday, he'll tell you animal facts in like a big, colorful, illustrated thing about like Martins and are they a member of the weasel family or what are they a member of? He'll he'll put his finger on it. But he's always like hunting drug kingpins. Uh, he has his wife, <laughs> Cherry, but there's also this like temptress that he sometimes goes on adventures with. Oh my God. My favorite Mark Trail comic strip is not amazingly the one where he spent, he spent a good, like, I want to say three months I'm going to say it, even though I think it's inaccurate. Like three months of daily strips just yelling in a cave. It was incredible. But (laughs) there was another one where he was trying to get to the bottom of like a drug smuggling situation. There's a a taxidermied fish and he sort of sticks his fingers into the, he's like the plaster of Paris of the fish. And he goes, 
that isn't plaster of Paris, that's cocaine. And just the idea that Mark Trail outdoorsman was like, <laughs> by tasting this plaster of Paris, I've identified it as cocaine. I'm like, that's Mark Trail in a nutshell. He's a, oh, he's got a child <laughs> named Rusty and a dog named Andy, or maybe a child named Andy and a dog named Rusty. No, I think I got it right the first time. But anyway, he recently, there's a new generation of Mark Trail going on. So like new, new writer, new illustrator, and he's like cool now and he's like making TikToks. And I'm like, I'm also interested in this Mark Trail, who's like maybe the son. I miss when they explain like his relationship to original Mark Trail. Uh, so I, I need to catch up on that. But yeah, he's like fun and makes wisecracks and he has like a rivalry with a cricket guy. Um, anyway. This is some insane continuity. And yeah, the, the, these comics, these soap opera comics have been going on for so long that I guess if you have been a lifelong reader of judge parker or mark trail or one of these you know the the idea of them stopping is just impossible to fathom so <laughs> i kind of get that part of it at least and mary worse is like an old lady who likes to meddle and everyone around her benefits from that it's kind of murder she wrote but also kind of not like in the sense that if you somebody were to tell you that she'd done a lot of murders you'd be like i'm not surprised yeah <laughs> All right, well, that was Josh Frulinger, who's on Twitter at JFRUH. It's Final Friday. Alexandra, let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone who makes you think, and you said Katie Mack, who is on Twitter at AstroKatie, and Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. She describes herself as a cosmologist, a pilot, and a connoisseur of cosmic catastrophes. She's also the author of a book called The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. So how did you start following Katie, and why do you say she makes you think? So we were actually on a nerd cruise together. Oh my gosh. It was super fun, called the Joko Cruise. Oh, this is the Jonathan Colton Yeah, the thing. Jonathan Colton Cruise. And she was like a designated, like, I will just answer your astronomy questions for hours person. And which, <laughs> I'm like, I love that this cruise like has somebody whose entire... And, and like people like, we were excited that finally we've got a cosmologist who will tell us what's going on. And she's just like super good at talking about science and like, no question is a dumb question. I was about to say, like, as an English major, this absolves me of any responsibility <laughs> to know anything about science, which I feel like is sort of like both knowing about science or not knowing about science are kind of like affectations in their own ways. And I'm somebody who tries to know about science. I think that's how I identify. And she's got a great book, which you just mentioned, for people who, like me, are trying to know about science, about all the different ways the universe could just end. It could be a bubble. This is going to be the world's worst explanation of like a scientific thing. <laughs> like the, a good, cogent, beautiful explanation is in the book. And a bad explanation is like just at any moment, this bubble could just sort of go through you and whoops, there goes the universe. But if you want someone who's like smart and also funny and just very well patiently explain to you why the world is the way it is or why the universe is the way it is. And it's just like curious and cool, like she's your individual. Yeah, this is, I'm going to quote something here from her website. Um, one of the things that she researches is vacuum decay, which is, I think, one of the things she covers in the book. Um, I haven't read the book yet, but, I, but I'm going to because I'm, I'm fascinated by her. Uh, she says, with the discovery of the Higgs boson, particle physicists found out something disconcerting about our universe. It might not be entirely stable. So the basic idea is that the mathematical structure that determines the laws of physics might not be the one that the universe prefers, and there's a chance that the universe will suddenly transition to the state it actually prefers, destroying everything in the process. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, like, it, it, it's been stable here for so long, but actually it could at any moment be like, this is 
really a better configuration. And it, like when somebody suddenly comes and like puts a rug in your house and you're like, you know, I didn't know that we needed a rug, but now that it's here, I like it. Except the rug destroys the whole universe. Th- this is why she makes the analogies and I don't make any analogies. <laughs> well, there's also another thing I found on her website that I really like, which is um, she's done Twitter threads where she's talking about space and science and astrophysics. And I mean, I can see why so many people love following her. Uh, my favorite of these threads is uh, called We Need to Talk About the Future, and it's her explaining why all the sci-fi technology that we whine about not having is impractical or dangerous or impossible. Jetpacks exist. They've been around for decades. No one uses them because they are expensive, inefficient, extremely loud, and fantastically dangerous. You want to get somewhere fast? In many cities, you can now walk down the street and rent an electric scooter with your phone. Enjoy. (laughs) Flying cars. Terrible idea. Teleportation. Much bigger disappointment. Faster than light travel would be amazing. It might also break the universe in some unspecified way. Will we break the universe? Because I have a friend who's obsessed with teleportation. She's just like, if I had a power, like, hands down, like, never has to hesitate. Like other people like, maybe I'll fly, maybe I'll be invisible. She's like, no, definitely teleporting. So it was sad to discover (laughs) that actually uh, it will, you know, disassemble and rebuild your whole self in a way that probably just damages your continuity. Like if scientists invented an actual teleportation machine, it would disassemble and reassemble your body. Yeah. So if (laughs) you're a monist, it's just like, well, I can't do that. But yeah, if you were a dualist, so really you have to get to like a philosophical question. <laughs> I do like the idea of like somebody, like you have to get like a philosopher to sign off on your decision to enter the teleportation machine. It's like, well, what's your framework for reality? Like, is your soul and body one? If, if they're dual, then like go on in, like, you know. <laughs> well, what is your framework for reality? And have you been to any of these countries in the past 14 days? And yeah. <laughs> you, said, you said that Katie makes you think, is there something um, that you've, seen her do that has i don't know changed your perspective has or has just made you like stop in your tracks and just i don't know reevaluate life the universe and everything i mean what's the sort of thing that she does that really you know gives you gives you pause or or makes you think to really mangle a ray bradbury quote about like space travel where he's like he had this guy who's like i I hate to i like to be on terra firma and the more firma the less terra um and that's sort of I like to sort of sit down here and and she's like very like, send me to Mars, put me in captain. Uh, And so I feel like seeing enthusiasm for doing exploration is nifty. And also just like being like, people can understand science. I felt like for the moments after like reading the book, I was like, I do understand the science. And now I'm like, well, (laughs) it has all quantum decayed or regular decayed or brain decayed (laughs) into not, but like, I like somebody who's like, no, no, no. I, I can explain this to you in a way that'll make sense. I, to me, that that's sort of an optimism-making condition. So, so sometimes reading a book like that, like a, it, while you're reading it, it's like, wow, I'm a genius. I understand all of this. And then you put it down and it's like, wow, that was a nice dream. What happened in it? I'm not sure. <laughs> no, exactly. I feel like there's like a phase when like all of the like the English majors of this world were like, we're going to read Stephen Hawking and we're going to get it. And then like you see all this like entropy, like as a metaphor, it just enters everything. And it's like, well, like, how do we like, what does time mean? Where does the difference between the past and the future come from? And like, because people, it's just like such evocative metaphors. So it's nice to have a new set of evocative metaphors, even if, if you don't use them for... Even if you don't retain them or, or wind up using them and... and for jetpacking. Yeah. <laughs> well, so coincidentally, certain corners of the, the world are very hotly anticipating the 
declassification of what the Pentagon knows about UFOs. This has been this thing, and it's been in the news for the past couple of weeks of just like, oh, the Pentagon's going to say, you know, here's what it's been keeping secret about UFOs. So, of course, some folks in the internet are like, finally, we're going we're gonna to find out everything they've been hiding from us. Alexandra, do you believe in aliens? Well, so I actually went to a UFO conference. Uh, I, I've been to a couple of like UFO events. I went to one that was for people who like, you believe that you'd literally been abducted by aliens and like got to be in like a room to share that experience with other people who'd had that experience. Huh. It, it was useful for like understanding sort of the Trump era kind of in, in the sense that it's like you can get a room full of people and they can all be like, we're definitely onto something because look, there's a room full of us, um, whether or not that's the case. But I, think, I do think I, I wrote about the other one, which was like, a sort of UFO disclosure hearing, there was a thinking that like Bill Clinton was going to be the big disclosure president, but then like Mm -hmm. the Lewinsky thing occurred and that got in the way of alien disclosures (laughs) that he was going to do was the theory that I heard. (laughs) But I do keep getting messages from people being like, your coverage of that UFO convention did not hold up because you see they're about to acknowledge it. I do think, I'm sure that there are things that are flying around that we don't know what they are. But the idea that like, there's a whole more complicated lore, like speaking of like the the day-to-day print comics is like if you spent like 40 years just sort of investing yourself in this world it's like well like they have all this green technology that they're keeping from us because it came to roswell and then they like put it in a vault and there's just like all of these very complicated things and there's like different tiers of aliens like got myself read by a person who'd be like what kind of alien were you before you were reincarnated into your present body um and she's like you're an arcturian so I was i had i think i had something to do with napoleon but it was unclear what i wasn't napoleon i just like had something to do with him. Okay. <laughs> so that, for whatever that's worth. But I, I do feel like there's a lot of accretions of sort of lore and w- wishful thinking about technology and all of this stuff. So like being like, okay, there are like unidentified flying objects. I'm sure. But like, is all the other stuff that people decided was correlated and caused by that, is that also going to be true? I'm not as sure about that. So I think my article does hold up. That was a long way of saying I am excited, but I'm skeptical. That was Katie Mack, who's on Twitter at AstroKatie. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with Alexandra Petri from The Washington Post. Today's show is brought to you by Captivate, which is the best place to host your podcast. I use Captivate. You should use Captivate. They make it easy to get going with loads of free resources, including a jargon-free guide to starting a podcast and a podcast success academy with more than five hours of video coaching. Captivate also gives you room to experiment. You can make as many podcasts as you want for one low price. And when it's time to launch your show, Captivate takes care of all of the annoying distribution work. With one click, you can get your podcast into all the major directories and apps. So check them out at captivate.fm slash follow Friday. When you use that URL, you'll get a 30-day free trial instead of the usual one week. That's captivate.fm slash follow Friday. It's follow Friday. Welcome back to follow Friday. Alexandra, I asked you to tell me about someone you're embarrassed to admit you follow, and you said Lazy Masquerade, who is on YouTube. Their username is a little bit hard to spell, so I just recommend people search for Lazy Masquerade. You will find them. The tagline of their channel is, The Best Things Happen in the Dark. Explain what this channel is all about and why you're embarrassed to admit you follow them. 
I guess embarrassed is the wrong word, but it's closest to the right word. So I really enjoy horror. There's nothing more soothing, or at least recently my brain has been finding that there's nothing more soothing than just sort of lying down in your bed and curling up and having like a soothing, beautiful British accent tell you horrible, creepy things that have happened (laughs) on the internet and true tales from Reddit. So I think something is broken in my brain is the larger takeaway from this. But the smaller takeaway is that if you want a YouTube channel that's just a very exquisite accent reading you bad things that have happened, creepy tales, undiscovered mysteries, just like going through Wikipedia and like extricating details, this is the place to go. So at the end of every episode, he's like, and remember, the best things happen in the dark. (laughs) It's just... I have no idea. I, I, one day I was like, I'm going to Google how did this get started? And all I found was like celebritybirthdays.com. And so I now know what the birthday is. I have the person who runs the channel, you know, their birthday. <laughs> I, I got briefly, and then I got distracted. So I, I have no further information. It could be that there's all kinds of things going on. But it, for, for the limited value of, I enjoy hearing a, a spooky tale being read to me by a mellifluous voice. It, it may be helpful if you can think of an example of one of their stories. Do you remember one that really stuck with you of like, like what level of horror are we talking about here? Are we talking about like, you know, axe murderers? Are we talking about just like Loch Ness Monster in the distance? Like I'm, I'm trying to trying to get the, the, the temperature. Yeah, no, there, well, there's different vibes. I think one of my favorites was sort of like American road trip horror. Like you're in a car or like, and, and these are all told as like, this probably happened or like to the extent that like somebody posted it on like a Reddit like forum and was like, here's a thing that happened to my family. This, yeah, yeah, my aunt, this occurred to her. Or so, so it was like, yeah, like my aunt like gave somebody like a ride at a filling station and like we looked in the back seat and there was a knife. And it turned out that when we looked on the news later, it was this man who was responsible for all of these killings. And my aunt just barely got away or like somebody like gets pulled over like in the middle of a cornfield for no reason and they start seeing people approaching through the cornfield. Like some of them are sort of true person, true person, true asterisk first person narratives. And then some of them are just like, here's an actual unsolved mystery or like somebody like went climbing on the mountain and never went away. And so he'll just like be like, well here, according to Wikipedia, like we still don't know what's happened to so-and-so. Oh, interesting. So so it's a mixture of fiction or what we assume is fiction and stuff that's actually documented like news stories like like actual missing persons and, and things like that or it'll just be like here's like the nine creepiest wiki wikipedia pages that i visited <laughs> and so then like each wikipedia page like one of them will be like like here's like just a file of like here's all the, the faces of missing people that have been generated by like sketch artists and so it's just like you get to see all these faces Okay, I, I should say that I am not as much of a horror fan as it sounds like you are. I mean, I, I'm a big scaredy cat uh, in most things. Basically, the only exception is, you know, critically acclaimed horror movies. I have posters on my wall here for uh, for Alien and Parasite. I don't know if you can see those. Ooh, yeah! That's like, that, that's like my one carve-out for, for anything horror-related. I'm just trying to meet you on, on, your, on your level, which is, like, what is it about hearing scary stuff that soothes you that helps you fall asleep i don't know i don't know if this is this may be a ridiculously difficult question because it's like baked in at a deep psychological level but um like do you find that it makes the real world less scary or 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 is that kind of unrelated part of it is certainly like escapism into like oh this is a very specific like especially like the fictional 
this is happening in a different room. I, I feel like yeah. there's a great security to like knowing that something is happening in a different room. Interesting. So it's like, well, this person's in a cornfield. Well, I'm not in a cornfield, so already Therefore, I feel safe. fine. But it's also like <laughs> deliberately be like being scared deliberately, like in a way that you have control over can be kind yeah. of like is like, oh, like instead of like I'm just fr- frightened for by an actual thing that's occurring that's a threat to me, I'm going and choosing to be like to find something that I hope will have the effect of like giving me goose, goosebumps of terror. So like I, my other like bedtime ritual for a long time was I would just go on like no sleep or our short scary stories to subreddits and just read whatever was there. And it's like, but I also am not so good with like jump scares or like, like your typical horror, horror movie. I, I right. like to like written horror. I'm like a big, like, like give me that Shirley Jackson or that Edgar Allan Poe type more creepy than necessarily scary a little a little bit it's like kind of sinister and just like there's there's something weird happening in the cornfield the, that, that sort of that sort of horror or the I twist or, the, or one where you have like a yeah. two-sentence horror story where like it's like i was in my house and i heard my mother calling me from downstairs and as i was going downstairs a hand shoots out from the closet and grabs me it's my mom i heard it too she says that's a classic two-sentence horror have you have you tried writing any horror yourself Every so often I will. I feel like writing is sort of like a kind of a creepy gothic vibe can be useful if you're trying to do humor. Uh, because it's like, oh, this is a recognizable trope. Like there's a, a, a weird sort of like, height, like a heightening of language that can be useful if you're trying to do like a satire or something. So sometimes I'll do something that's like as scary as I can make it while still like being somehow about Lindsey Graham. <laughs> Well, that was Lazy Masquerade, which is on YouTube. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. I asked you for someone you don't know but want to be your friend, and you said Anthony Oliveira, who's on Twitter at Mea Koopa. That's M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A. Anthony is a writer, a podcaster, a literature PhD, and a fan of trashy cult movies. So a lot of different angles there. How did you start following him, and, and why do you want to be his friend? So among the other things I've been doing during the pandemic while locked in the house, reading the comics and failing to retain <laughs> books about science is I've just watched Hannibal over and over again. So I feel like it's like a good like transition from like the horror into and every time I would like have a thought about Hannibal and like Twitter Google it, Anthony had already had that thought. Wait, specifically Hannibal, the, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Like, like no, the, the TV show. Uh, oh, the TV show. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Like, I, I feel like this is a very common because people are like, I, that's in the culture. I know what that thing is. And I'm like, no, I'm like not that into, An- you know, Anthony Hopkins. Like, bless him. He's doing good work. But no, <laughs> like, I want atmospheric, like, 39 episodes of people commuting back and forth over long distances. But so, so Anthony has been like writing or tweeting about about the show same time as you've been watching it. Apparently, like he was like super into it, like for a very long time and like had like all the locations and just like every like hilarious correct thought about it was it's a similar thing with like josh where like oh like this thought was already out there and somebody had it and so i'm like this is great also he's really into milton he's like a milton scholar and he wrote this like yeah gorgeous essay about like milton and like cormorants and like despair and it was just like beautiful and i'm just like this is a very cool person who like also has entirely correct opinions about hannibal and i feel like <laughs> that could be the basis for a friendship um, like Milton and yeah. Hannibal, like what more do you need? Yeah, his his podcast was him reading through. I think it was Paradise Lost, then Paradise Regained, and now he's doing the Gospels from the New Testament, where he's I guess like reading through them and then providing commentary and and remixing them. And I I don't know, I haven't I haven't listened to it yet, but it it seems like he really has like 
a wide like breadth of, of of interests where he's really like looking at media in like a unique way. I, it's it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. As like a English major and a horror nerd, I feel like I, I love people who sort of I forget who tweeted or said this. Where it's like you can divide all all people who are into like literature as like the people who were like forced to read it for school and the people who were like reading it to look for where the naughty parts were. <laughs> and I, I definitely like fall into the latter category. So people who are like approaching with like, like this is fun. And like, sort of like, who is this idiot approach to like, like Milton? Who is this guy? Like, what's he doing? I, I feel like that energy keeps it very alive and is sort of the, the fun of getting to read old books is it's like these people were just sort of grappling with the same things that we're all grappling with. And some of them were just jerk bags in like a fun way that we can now enjoy. Like <laughs> over the pandemic, I read Rousseau's confessions and it was just like, this man is a monster. Like my page 12, he's, he's just like telling you like he likes to be spanked. Like, and it just escalates from there. It's like, I already know, I know so much more about Rousseau than I want to know. He like abandons six children at a foundling hospital because Ooh he's too busy writing a book on how to rear children correctly. Like hmm. it's, he's a nightmare person. And he like, <laughs> he's like, I didn't plagiarize my symphony, but my, I did go to this patron's house and he was like, here, look at this music and maybe copy some of it and put it into your symphony. And then he accused me of plagiarizing. I'm like, no, what sounds like it happened is, but it's just a big old mess like throughout. And I just love people who have that chaotic energy or like recognize that like all these sort of like, classics have that chaotic energy and so i feel like that's something that i enjoy also like yeah the having correct hannibal opinions that's very important to our friendship absolutely um i mentioned that anthony's also into trashy cult films he organizes screenings in toronto for movies like flash gordon barbarella cats uh he calls it dumpster raccoon cinema which a plus right one. yeah <laughs> are, are you into these sorts of movies of course yeah the best cinematic experience I had pre-pandemic was going to see Cats with like a bunch of people who are all like there to see Cats for the right reasons. At least 50% of the theater was definitely high. Like the yeah. other 50% was like <laughs> definitely drunk. Maybe 100% of the theater was like on some combination. Yeah, good. That's math. That's good math. Um, like <laughs> 78% were doing a combination and everyone was just like, we are here to yell at the screen because first run movies, you so seldom get the experience of like, no, we're, we're here to yell at the screen. Like, instead of having to be like, okay, well, now that we know what kind of movie Rocky Horror was, like everyone will now go back or like the room or something like that. But this is just like, no, no, it's out now. And they, the cats all are CGI. And uh, Taylor <laughs> Swift is here doing her best um, for Olivia, her cat, and her other cat, whose name I'm forgetting, which is so embarrassing for me. Although in a deeper sense, it's not embarrassing to not remember the yeah, name of Taylor Swift. It's actually cool. Second cat out of her three cats. You're talking about the real cat, not the character she plays. You're talking about the cats that she owns in real life. Yeah, no, she played Bum Ballerina, the cat, but she actually okay. has th three cats in real life whose names are, oh, no, I think it's Olivia and Meredith, but I don't remember what the third one is. But it was just a whole theater full of people who were just screaming at the, at the screen, like insulting all the cats, but like pausing respectfully during the points when Jennifer Hudson was singing her heart out because, you know, the rest of the movie wasn't ready for her, but she was bringing it. And Dame Judi Dench was just doing things. And it was like, that's my, that's, I miss that about the movies. I, just 
sitting in a room full of people who are like, no, we're all here to yell. I wish you could sign up for screenings. Like maybe that'll be a post-pandemic innovation. I don't want a comfortable chair. I think, I think it was for cats. Like, I mean, the problem with cats came out like just before pandemic, the pandemic started, but I think there were like intentional rowdy screenings in some places where it was like, do not show up to this if you actually want to understand what's happening in this movie. Like you will not be able to hear the dialogue. People will be screaming the entire time, you know, which I'm, I'm very supportive of. So long as it's advertised clearly, like go for it, you know? No, exactly. <laughs> Like, I went to, I think, Mamma Mia with, or no, Mamma Mia 2 with a friend. And we were just, like, having a great time. And there were some ladies who were like, how dare you talk during Mamma Mia 2? And I'm like, see, there needs to be a screening for us and for you. Because, uh, <laughs> like, movie theater keep giving me things I don't want. They're like, what if your chair was bigger? Like, what if your chair also reclined? Like, what if... You had to choose which seat you would be sitting in in advance. I'm like, I don't want any of these features. I want to just be in an uncomfortable chair surrounded by people who are also yelling. (laughs) There's a new theater here in San Francisco where it's like the chairs are, it'll be like being in an amusement park where the chairs will like pitch and sway and vibrate in time with the movie. And it's going to cost like $25 a ticket. And it's just like... No, I just I just want to have a comfortable seat and watch a good movie. Is that is that too much to ask? No, no one asked for that. I saw Solo, which I regret seeing, but I also regret seeing it in a 4X chair, which is like, not only am I seeing Solo, which is unpleasant, but also the chair is hitting me. Oh, no. It's just hitting me and spitting at me. It's like, I understand this is what I deserve for having voluntarily paid money to see the Solo prequel in which we learned his name is Han Solo because he was traveling alone one time, but... Why is my chair hitting me? <laughs> insult to injury, or injury to insult, I guess. <laughs> yeah, both. Yeah. 50%, 78%, everything. Well, I, I am rooting for Dumpster Raccoon Cinema. I hope Anthony and, and all of his, uh, his his folks in Toronto get back to that soon. That was Anthony Oliveira, who's on Twitter at Mea Koopa. Alexandra, thank you for sharing your follows with us today. Uh, before we go, let's make sure listeners know how to find you online. Where do you want them to follow you? Uh, follow me on, on Twitter. I'm uh, Petri or Petri Dishes. And I'm also on Facebook if, like, your mom wants to follow me. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm sorry. That was, that was <laughs> yeah. If you or a cherished Facebook user, um, if your uncle who's, like, on Facebook, but he, like, wants to get into something different. Yeah, I'm at Petri Fying. One of the two. <laughs> Let me look back at my notes. I'm it's, super uh, prepared. <laughs> uh, fying. Fying. Yeah, that's the one. Don't follow Petri Fied. She, she can't that's be trusted. Something else. Um, <laughs> Your evil twin. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm also on Instagram, but I'm very bad at it. So I never tell people to follow me there because it's just yeah. like every six months, I'll post like a picture of something really dull because I'm like, no, I'm going to be active on Instagram. I'm going to post like this fork is just the beginning. And then like I forget. And then like six months later, it's like, here's another uninteresting fork. You're welcome. So um, <laughs> if you're into that, if you're that's what my Instagram is. Well, that sounds great to me. Alexandra's username on Instagram is this username is terrible. Follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ and this show on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok at Follow Friday Pod. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast, Follow Friday, in your podcast app to get new interviews like this one every week. Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermawan. Additional music by Purple Planet Music. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday. 